we have been walking through the book of Proverbs, and we're going to take a break for that, as you may have noticed, to take a little bit different topic, a little bit different route today. How many of you, like me, have grown a little weary with news? Amen? A little weary. Um, And I try to not grow apathetic. I try to not stop caring. Um, But there are times when it just feels like there is always something. Um, We bought a house uh, uh, not too long ago, and my mail has been littered with urgent letters. Selling me something, of course. But, you know, last reply only, last chance, urgent, open immediately. Right? We're just inundated with information, and all of this information seems to be the most important information in the world. And after a while, it starts to wear on us, doesn't it? Where now we just, we just don't even care. You know, things can happen on the news, and we're not even shocked. Things can happen in our own lives, and it doesn't have the impact that it does because we have grown weary of news. And for some of us who've been around church for a little bit of time, you kind of know what a Sunday morning before Christmas is going to do, don't you? We're going to read either Luke chapter 1 or Luke chapter 2, maybe Matthew, maybe John 1 if we're feeling, you know, a little spicy, (laughs) right, if we're feeling extra theological that day. Um, But we're going to tell a story that many of us have heard before, and if we're honest, this news doesn't have the same impact that it used to have on us. Yeah, baby was born, we get it, it's Jesus, I get it. Manger, got it. Wise men, shepherds, got it. Um, So the question I want to pose to you today is what should be the right response for not just news, not just even good news, but the best news ever delivered? What is the right response, even in our hearts, to the good news? We are going to be in Luke chapter 1. <laughs> That's what you came for, right? We are going to be in Luke chapter 1, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. We're going to look through the whole chapter, although we're not going to read the whole chapter, because this, I think, gives us some clues about what that right response should be. You see, the good news was given a few times in Luke chapter 1, and yet we see very, very different responses to that news. So I think this might give us a clue, an indicator of how should our response be to this man called Jesus, upon which all of Christianity hinges. If you are not a believer here this morning, if you are questioning, if you are invited, I am so glad that you are here. I am so glad that you are here. This is not talking over you or around you. We're talking to you as well, even this morning. Hope you would listen with a discerning and even critical ear. In the first part of Luke chapter 1, it's a very long chapter, but in the first part, Gabriel, the angel, is going to predict not Jesus, but John's birth. And John, who we would know better as John the Baptist, is going to be born about six months before Jesus would be born. And John's job was to be a forerunner to Jesus, to prepare the way. And so John the Baptist's parents, Zechariah and Elizabeth, were going to receive some good news. And let's look at their response. Luke chapter 1, verses 11 through 20. Read along silently as I read aloud. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit 
while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord and prepare people. Pause there for a second. Zechariah was a priest serving in the temple. He had grown advanced in years, the Bible says. He was a little old. So his childbearing days were a little bit behind him and his wife. And while he was doing his duties at the temple, at church, he was just serving as he always did. He got a vision of the angel Gabriel and a very human response. The Bible says he was terrified. I know we pray and we sing about angels and all the time, but if one showed up right now, there would be a mixed response. Amen? Amen. Some of that would be a little fear and a little bit of terror. And so rightly so, Zechariah was terrified, even though he was serving the Lord. When God just descended, he was taken aback. And then Gabriel said, don't be afraid. Verse 13, hear what he said? He said, your prayer has been answered. And then Gabriel, the angel, began to articulate the ways in which John, his future son, will be favored and blessed by the Lord and will go before the Messiah himself. Now, as a young parent, um, and some of you are a little bit, had a little more experience than even I do, you don't really know what you're getting when a baby comes out, do you? Amen. It's like the lottery. Like, maybe you win, maybe you don't, right? <laughs> it's kind of a toss-up. You don't really know. You hope for the best, right? You pray for the best, but you don't really know what kind of personality the child is going to have, what, what kind of bents and, and dents the child is going to have. You have no idea what that child is going to do in the future. All you can do is hope, pray, and cultivate the best you can. But this parent got a little heads up, didn't he? He said, not only are you going to have a son, which they weren't even expecting a child, they weren't even looking for a child, they didn't even think having a child was possible in their age, yet not only are you going to have a child, but that child is going to be great. Filled with the Spirit from the womb, the Bible says. Y'all catch that? Filled with the Spirit from the womb. Man, I, my prayers were not as ambitious as they should have been for Ezra and Judah. I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> Filled from the Spirit from the womb, and he would be a forerunner to the Messiah himself. The man that the Jews had been waiting for for thousands of years was finally going to come, and the man that was going to herald his coming was John. This sounds like good news to me, doesn't it? This sounds like a miracle in the making, doesn't it? But look at how Zechariah responds. Verse 18 how can I know this? Zechariah asked the angel, for I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. The angel, mind you, he is having a conversation with an angel, y'all. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this, what? Good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. The story would go on to say that Zechariah lost his ability to speak until the baby was born. And so we find the first response to the good news is the good news rejected. And if I be a little honest, I was Zechariah for most of my life. I actually have, I'm counting down to the days when I turn 36, because that'll be the first time, I'm 34 right now if you're wondering, um, that'll be the first time where I've lived an equal amount of time as a Christian and an unchristian. 
I'm counting down the days that I can say that the majority of my life has been spent serving the Lord. But right now, that's not true. The majority of my life has been spent in the back row of a church scoffing at the things said from this very pulpit. Because I was a kid who was drugged to church like many of you, and so I had to be there, but I didn't have to listen, right? I had to hear it, but I didn't have to listen. And so I, like Zechariah, saw God do phenomenal things around me. And yet I had my questions. I had my doubts. And although Zechariah was having a conversation with an angel, one who sits in the presence of God, he thought that his wife having a child is one step too far. Now, mind you, 30 seconds ago, he probably didn't believe in angels, right? Probably had a loose theology for it, but never really probably saw one in his life. So his world had changed in 30 seconds, but my, my, my wife having a son, nah, that's too much. And if we're honest, that's many of our stories, is it not? We see God do crazy things around us, provide healing and deliverance. Science itself stops short of providing real answers, and yet we still are stuck in disbelief. We have our questions. We have our doubts. And so we don't seek even the answers to our questions. We just reject the gospel, reject the good news. So what happens next? The next example that we're going to get is a young woman by the name of Mary. You see, she would hear good news from that exact same angel Gabriel, and yet she would respond very differently. Would you look at verses 26 through 38? In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man named Joseph. Some of this may sound familiar. Of the house of David, the virgin's name was Mary, and the angel came to her. Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Now, look at verse 29. But she was deeply troubled. <laughs> I had an old man once say, when people start smiling in your face, check your wallet. Right? <laughs> An angel comes to you saying, hey, greetings, favorite woman. It's like, oh, Lord, here we go. So God's about to do something. I used to, brothers always be like to pray for a man, praying for a spouse. A lot of my single brothers would come to me like, hey, praying for a spouse. And I feel like God said this is the one. I feel like God said this is the one. And I said, you know, the biblical record proves that that's probably not going to work out for you. The only people that God picked a spouse for, it was hard living, boy. <laughs> it was hard living. So if God says, marry this one, go ahead, go ahead, buckle up. Go ahead, go ahead, buckle up. Because God's got some ideas about how you should live your life. The book of Hosea, for those who don't know what I'm talking about. The book of Hosea in the Old Testament. And so Mary was, she, although she was a young person at this point, maybe even a teenager, she was a little skeptical. She's like, all right, I'm a little troubled, but I'm listening. She was deeply troubled, verse 29, by this statement, wondering what kind of greeting this could be. Why am I favored? Why is an angel coming to visit me? I'm nobody. Then the angel told her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. This sounds very familiar, doesn't it, from what we just read? You have found favor with God. Now, listen, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and ever, and his kingdom will have no end. Pause for a second. This sounds exactly like the story from Zechariah, does it not? 
You don't have a child yet. You're not even pregnant yet. And you don't even think that's possible because you're engaged to a man named Joseph and you have not had sex yet. So you're a virgin engaged to someone and God is telling you, you're going to have a son and Joseph is not going to be the father. And that son is not just going to be any son. Once again, any parent's dream, getting the preview of the life of the child to come, says this one is not just going to be the forerunner. This one is the one that we have been waiting for. He is the Messiah. That's, that's a lot for any person, right? That's a lot. Mary was, at this point in time, nobody. The town of Nazareth was nothing. Not an important place, not an important people. And all of a sudden, she would be the mother of the Messiah. How did Mary respond? Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, how can this be since I have not had sexual relations with a man? Starting to sound kind of like Zechariah, right? But we're going to see her questions are a little bit different. Verse 35, the angel replied to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Consider your relative Elizabeth. Elizabeth and Mary were cousins. Even she has conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month for her who is called childless, for nothing will be impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, said Mary. May it be done to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. We saw the good news rejected, and now we see through Mary's humility and obedience the good news received. That Mary heard an impossible thing. You're going to have a child who's going to be Jesus the Messiah, and you're going to have a child without having sex with a man. Two things that seemed utterly impossible, and she had questions, did she not? She had questions. But that questions came from a posture of, I'm already in, God. I just, just help me a little bit. I already believe, God, but help my unbelief. God, I'm already going to say yes, God, but, but I'm struggling a little bit. You see, the faith that we have, Christian, is not a blind faith. It's not a blind faith. It's not like we believe despite all the evidence. Those who are in the secular psychology realm and, and science realm would have us believe that Christians are just making up fairy tales, that there's no evidence to support Christianity. That is not true. Now, the evidence doesn't take you all the way there, amen? But it's not like we believe in fairy tales. I would even wager that those who don't believe in God have bigger faith than the average Christian. Let me prove it to you. Any, any chemistry buffs in here? We got some engineers in here, right? The first law of thermodynamics is what? Y'all wasn't ready for that. It's all right. Don't worry about it. <laughs> they know. They just don't want to say it. They want to be humble. The first law of thermodynamics is known as the conservation of energy which basically means that energy cannot be created nor destroyed in a closed system. You can Google that. I didn't make that up. That's a real thing. The law of the conservation of energy says that matter and energy cannot be destroyed or created in a closed system. What is the Big Bang? Cre the, the atheist says something came from nothing. That goes against their own rules for science. We say that nothing can come from something. Nothing can come from nothing. Only something can come from something. So at least the believer says we believe in something that created something. So on face value, it seems to be at least more plausible than nothing creating something. 
So we don't believe in a blind faith. It's not a, a fairy tale faith. We have evidences to prove. We even see the angel Gabriel comforting Mary. He said, I know you're struggling, Mary. I know I, know I just said two big things for you. But look at, your, look at your cousin Elizabeth. She was called childless too. But he didn't think that she would have a child either. And she is six months pregnant. See, even the angel appealed to outside evidence to prove that what I'm saying is more plausible than not. Amen. And so your faith, Christian, is not built on fairy tales. It's built on truth. And so we shouldn't be afraid to ask some hard questions about our God from a place of submission. There are times where God will call you to do something. God will say something to you, and it will be a hard thing. And it's okay to ask some questions about, okay, God, I'm, I'm, I'm saying yes, but I got some questions. God, I'm going to follow you. I'm your servant, but I, I, God, help me. Some of you have done things this year that have been hard things, have they not? Have been unexpected things. And did God not meet you in those moments? For some of you, God reminded you of what he did before. And remind you that he hasn't changed since the last time he provided that miracle. He hasn't changed since the last time he came through. He hasn't changed since the last time he answered your prayer. And he reminded you of what he has done so that you will believe in what he will do. This is what it looks like to receive the good news. If you are an unbeliever here, it's not like you can't ask questions about the faith. It's not like you just have to have a blind faith. No, God will address those, but you got to have the right heart posture first. When you decide to follow Jesus, he will show you truth along the way but you've got to decide to follow first. Peter had no evidence that the water was going to hold him up. Peter had no evidence that the water was going to hold him up other than Jesus said, come here. And if he said, Jesus said, come here to Peter, Peter believed that I, that was possible because that what Jesus commands, he empowers us to do. He had seen Jesus raise somebody from the dead. He had seen twice Jesus feed thousands of people with just a handful of food. He had seen Jesus do miracle after miracle. How hard would it be to walk on some water? And so the good news received doesn't mean we throw our questions out the window. doesn't mean we throw our worries and our concerns out the window. It means we go to God with those worries. We go to God with those concerns knowing that he will meet us in that. If we would just have a heart posture that says, I'm your servant. Let it be said and done as you willed. The good news received means the good news obeyed, obeyed. So what is the right response? We saw Zechariah's rejection of the good news. We saw Mary's kind of hesitant response and obedience to the good news. What should our response be? Let's go back to our boy, Zechariah. The end of this chapter, you may have a title right above verse 69 of Luke chapter 1 that says Zechariah's Prophecy. Now, that seems like a big jump from the Zechariah who couldn't speak before. The Zechariah says, no, this can't happen. What happened in Zechariah's life that he's going to end Luke chapter 1 prophesying on behalf of the Messiah? Well, let's go back and find out. Verse 57 of Luke chapter 1. Now, the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, no, he will be called 
John. Then they said to her, none of your relatives have that name. So they motioned to the father to find out what he wanted him to be called. This is the Zechariah's moment right here. Where did the name John come from? Y'all remember? The angel gave it to him, right? He's not only going to have a son, not only is this what he's going to do, but his name will be John. So Zechariah has a moment to submit to what the word of the Lord has said or still be walking disbelief. In verse 63, he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was set free and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those who lived around them and all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. And all who heard about him took it to heart saying, what then will this child become? For indeed the Lord's hand was on him. Pause right here. It's a beautiful story of redemption, isn't it? We get these little glimpses of redemption, Peter and the rooster crowing. We get these little stories that we can just blow it, y'all. And God's not done with us. We can just blow it. And God's not done with us. Zachariah can tell an angel of God to his face, nah, probably not. I hear what you're saying, but nah. And still be used by God. Still speak eternal scripture that we're preaching and teaching on today and throughout all ages until Jesus comes back. Just because you blew it doesn't mean God's done with you, amen? Amen. That's why this news is good news, y'all. So how did God use Zechariah in his moments of repentance? He utters a prophecy. And you notice that these are indented a little bit. Usually it's poetry or song when the Bible does that. So it's a good chance that he may have been singing this out. If I ain't talking about nine months, I might have some things to say too. I'm going to read this whole passage, and I want to zoom in for a little bit. It may or may not be on the screen, but I want you to see this in the Bible, y'all. This is talking about Jesus. Then his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit, verse 67, and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord God, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, just as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham. He has given us the privilege since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, because our God's merciful compassion The dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Y'all, that is the good news. That's the good news. So what made Zechariah go from unbelieving rejecter of the gospel to a prophet? The Holy Spirit made all the difference, y'all. It wasn't he got a good book and changed his mind. It says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Here's one thing, y'all. Sometimes before I became a believer, I have lots of questions about, man, if I, if I become a believer, what about this? And I'm kind of stuck doing this. I'm kind of have this addiction. I've got this hang up. I've got this problem. And we think that becoming a Christian is going to be exactly the same as we, how we were living our lives before Christ, on our own power, on our own strength. 
Thank God that that's not true. Thank God that that's not true. You see, what made Zechariah different wasn't just being mute and being in timeout for nine months. No, it was the Holy Spirit speaking through Zechariah. Mary's song, just a little bit above in verse 46, how did that happen? She was filled with the Spirit and began to sing about Jesus the Christ. The Spirit makes all the difference. And so if you're worried about what comes after you say yes to Jesus, even though you got all these uh, addictions, you got all these uh, problems, you got all these issues, what's going to be the difference? The Spirit of God living within you is going to make the difference. You don't have to worry about cleaning yourself up. You don't have to worry about breaking those cycles. You don't have to worry about getting life right. God will do it through you if you let him. God will do it through you by the power of his spirit. But look at this good news. I'm going to zoom back in to verses 76 through 79 that I'm going to get out your way. Verse 78 says, because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. If you want to know why this news is called good news, this is why. This is why. Because that's all of our stories. We all were sitting in darkness. We all were under the shadow of death, and God came for those people. You see, Jesus doesn't come to save those people who think they got it all together. Jesus didn't come for the best of the best. Jesus didn't come for those who are almost there, just need a little help being a good person. Jesus didn't come for the religious. Jesus didn't come for those who know their Bible really well. Jesus didn't come for those who do the right things when somebody's looking. Jesus came for those who sit in the shadow of darkness and in the valley of death itself. Is that your story? Is that your story? Is that your situation even now? Do you feel like you are in the shadow, separated from the light of God's presence? Unworthy to be loved, a bad person. It's a preacher of mine I listen to regularly. He says, God doesn't come to save good people. God only comes to save bad people. So if you're a bad person, there is good news for you. There is good news for you. That God came to visit me. I love this. Some of you have the, anybody have the King James Version? Yeah, we always got one. <laughs> what does that word say in verse 78? Because of God's merciful compassion, what? Come on, shout it out. Putting you on the spot. You don't have a... <laughs> Just when you thought you had some help, boy. Just when you thought you had some help. The key does, <laughs> I love the King James Version here because they literally have to make up a word to try to capture what the original authors are saying. There's a word called day spring. It's only mentioned twice in the entire Bible, and it's this picture of light breaking through darkness, of literally the day springing forth. That's what happens when you become a believer. The, sp the day springs forth in your life. There was darkness and sin and selfishness and a bunch of stuff that nobody would ever know. But all of out of that darkness, the Holy Spirit springs forth light and life and forgiveness and redemption and change. And life slowly but surely changes. All because 
God came in the form of a child, a child named Jesus. That's why this news is good news, y'all. And I love this last line, to guide our feet into the way of peace to guide our feet into the way of peace. If we're honest, the holidays don't always seem like a peaceful time, does it? And we talk about Jesus, but it's really about running around, it's about relatives, presents, and families, and out-of-town trips, and all sorts of stuff. It seems like this hurried time of one anxiety to another, of one task to another. And many of us are just searching for peace. Even those who know Jesus are just searching for peace. And I love the, the Hebrew understanding of peace. It's the shalom wholeness. Nothing missing, nothing lacking, nothing broken. And so we find that peace, y'all, is not found in a change of circumstances, but it's found in a change of heart towards the God of our circumstances. It's not found just by God settling the things around you, having less to do. Peace isn't found there. Rest can be found there. That's a good thing. But peace is a person. And it's found by him guiding our way to peace. Some of you have been walking with us through the book of Proverbs, and we said that wisdom isn't just right application of good information. No, wisdom is a person. Wisdom is found walking the path of life with the person of Jesus. Guess what peace is, y'all? Peace is found walking the path of life with the person of Jesus. And that's what he promises to all those who would follow him. Not just one time when you said a prayer, not just one time when you wrote your name down on the card, not just one time when you walked down the altar, but every single morning following him. There is peace. Before I close, let me say this. If you are not a believer this morning, if you don't know what these things are, maybe you've been going to church your whole life and you thought you were, but you're like, man, I don't know this God that you were talking about. I don't know this peace that you're talking about. I want to know him. Let me say this, do not leave this place without having a conversation. We're going to end our service in just a few moments by singing and standing and worshiping to our God. And while that's happening, there are going to be people right there at that next step station that are waiting for you, wanting to pray for you. You don't have to make a decision today. You may have questions, like Mary had questions, and that's okay. But don't let your questions lead to a Zachariah-type rejection of the good news. You see, Zachariah got another shot. We don't always get one. So today might be the day for you to respond in faith. And for believers, if you know Jesus Christ, if you've been saved, this is still good news for you. Amen. We're not just saved by the good news of Jesus. We are sustained by the good news of Jesus. You see, our heart wants to always wander into earning salvation. Our heart always wants to wander into a busyness for Jesus so that he would look at me and like me. Our heart always wants to wander that way, and we have to remind ourselves over and over and over, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, through Christ alone, we find salvation. And that's still true. That's true today just as much as it was the day that you first believed. And so rest in him. Trust in him, even when he calls you to do the impossible thing. Even when he calls you to do the hard thing, you will find him there if you stay in the path of peace. Amen.